Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Musicals teach us lessons, shouldn't they? Well, they croon and prance around in their play. Some of them are good and some of them, well, you know, ain't. Don't blame us. If it's your favorite show that we happen to taint, welcome to Talking Musical History. We will explore all of the highs and all the lows with social conscience and realization, an honest microscope to study all these shows. And down rabbit holes we'll go with these Like newsboys, well, the day we cease Connecting lines and jokes with these Our, Our story spunking fun, you see Served musicals with sides of cheese Dissecting shows looks like a breeze Kevin and Chris do aim to please In hopes to cure hateful disease I think we better talk it out again Yes, we are talking musical history And we surely have to talk it out again Welcome to our episode of Talking Musical History, where we talk about the beloved classic Oliver. So many Oscars, so many Oscars. Origin of Oliver dates back to Charles Hoffman Dickens, born February 7th, 1812. Charlie D. We constantly uh, go back to his works, right? Uh, obviously, Annie connects to Oliver. You have, like, all of the different uh, versions of uh, uh, Scrooge, Tale of Two Cities. I mean, he's uh, super prolific, and uh, you probably had to study him in high school at some point in time. Yeah, I know. I read the cliff notes <laughs> of Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the longest book. For his time, though, the way he writes, that's what people wanted. And really... And they got paid by the words, so... Exactly, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, it, it is a business that he was in, that, yeah. like, even though he was a really good artist... He was forced to leave school at age 12 when his father was sent to a debtor's prison. He campaigned for children's rights, education, and other social reforms. Starting out, he was an actor, but went on to writing later. If you hear the word Dickensian, it refers to Dickens and his writing with poor social or working conditions. I was uh, watching the news once, and uh, there was this guy who, like, mispronounced Dickensian, and it, like, it, like I missed it for a second, and I was like, wait a second, did you just mean Dickensian? <laughs> Everyone should spend time understanding what a D Dickensian uh, society sort of kind of looks like, uh, specifically, you know, how, like, it's about exploitation. In 1836, finishing the last installments of the Pickwick Papers, referenced as the earliest source for Sweeney Todd, he started 
Oliver Twist. Published in 1838, it became one of his better-known works and was the first Victorian novel with a child protagonist. Both were read by the Queen Victoria. Religiously, he was a devout Unitarian. When he died, a printed epithet read, To the memory of Charles Dickens, England's most popular author, who died at his residence, Higham near Rochester, Kent, 9th of June, 1870, aged 58. He was a sympathizer of the poor, the suffering, and the oppressed. And by his death, one of England's greatest writers is lost to the world. That was so long ago, though. (laughs) But I, I understand. There was a first film... That was in 1909. Yep, a silent film uh, by Vitagraph Studios. It's uh, written by uh, Eugene Mullen and starring Edith Story. I mean, uh, I knew there had to at least been one girl, Oliver. Oh, and that was the start of her film career, which uh, lasted all the way until 1921. She was also in A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, another Dickensian fan. If you want to see an early film of Oliver, in 1922 version is available on Paramount. Paramount Plus. And it is a silent adapted film by Frank Lloyd and Harry Wheel as Jackie Coogan production with a quote from Dickens to start. Oh, that sounds like a very classy film. Very classy stuff. Well, there's like animation in there. Oh, really? There's like I early little, animation too. That's not there's bad. There's very like for the food dreaming sequence. Oh, there's like a little dancing like spoon and bowl. That's actually kind of clever. I would assume since Oliver is asking for more of the slop that they call gruel, yeah. they probably weren't feeding them enough. In their heads, they're going hungry and they're like, ah, the food is dancing and I wish I was able to enjoy. The, the food, Glorious Food song is always uh, super weird to me. It's a beautiful song and, I, and it's been used in commercials. I know you're really excited about this food, but like, shouldn't you also be talking about around the strife about like why you're so obsessed with the food? Well, so here's the quote. When this tale was first published, I fully expected it would be objected to on high moral grounds. It seems a very coarse and shocking circumstance that among the characters in my story, I had chosen from the filthiest, most criminal, and degraded of London's population. The character of Sykes is a thief. Fagin, a receiver of stolen goods, and the boys are pickpockets. Nancy is a prostitute. Yet I saw no reason, when I wrote the book, why the dregs of life, so long as their speech did not offend the ear, should not serve the purpose of a moral. In this spirit, I wish to show in Little Oliver the principle of good surviving through every adverse circumstance and triumphing at last among what companions I could try him best. It was a quote from Charles Dickens' second... The 1922 film. 22 film, yeah. And it was interesting. It was um, it was very silent. I'm used to silent movies being having paired with some sort of music. Yeah, I there was that. nothing. Yeah. Nada. You would have been okay with a little piano in the background or yeah. something. Yeah, I um, maybe even like a, a an accordion. <laughs> 
settled for that. Yeah. Or, or a slide whistle. When I was in middle school, my choir teacher would sometimes go away and... Where would she go? Would she leave you alone in the classroom? That's so rude. There was a substitute. Oh, no. Yeah. With the movie then? The movie of Oliver. Oh, that's a lot of fun. I had a time in my life where I never wanted to see Oliver ever again, and I don't like the sound of children singing badly. I understand why you wouldn't like uh, kids' voices, because they haven't had an opportunity to spend time with awesome coaches like uh, Cheryl Porter that uh, is available on YouTube and that we use all the time and we really love. So I think another reason that I may have thought negatively about Oliver is the the big one. And that is anti-Semitism. Fagan. Fagan, yes. (laughs) Actually, Charles Dixon's Fagan is named after a character named Bob Fagan. And he, it was his friend? Yes. You can see the copy and paste job that Dickens did with Fagan, the character. When he was writing his crime reports that he, he chose three Jewish criminals and made them into Fagan. And I'm like, there were no other criminals in London. Talk about the Jews being expelled from many countries, including London. You may know there are people of diaspora, so spread all across the world because a bunch of countries said, we don't want you, Jews. Currently going through with uh, some of the countries in the Middle East, yeah. right? Asylum seekers. Yeah. Not even like immigrants. They're asylum seekers, which I feel like is better, but I don't know. I don't know why immigrants have to be such a bad word anyway. I mean, immigrants, they get, they get the, the job, job done. done. Dickens was quoted saying, I have no feelings toward the Jewish people, but a friendly one. He created one of the most anti-Semitic characters in history. And you can see it copy and pasted from Shylock in Merchant of Venice. Yeah, uh, have that feel. I mean, maybe he like threw some of the crimes and and the character together. Like he refers to Fagin in the book as As the Jew. Well, not just that, as a hideous, a loathsome reptile, often compared to the devil. And so I, I looked at some images of Fagin and it looked almost like Nazi propaganda of Jewish people. Like, look at the terrible, horrible Jew that is going to ransack your people and and take advantage of you and just want to squeeze every dime out of you because all Jews are money-grubbing thieves, you know, like that trope. (laughs) Um, That's actually why I feel like uh, Monks is a really important character to reintroduce in the musical of Oliver because I feel like he actually has the ability to make Fagin not the villain. And Fagin really isn't the villain of the show. The version of Oliver that's the musical right now, I feel like Circumstance mm-hmm. is really more of his uh, a villain right now. But but if you've read the book, we all know that Circumstance isn't the villain. Monks is. Mm-hmm. He needs to be the overarching villain that's been using money and power through Oliver's luck. He's able to escape that and then uh, become like a, a pauper thief. Which, you know, he really doesn't do, honestly. We all know that. He doesn't really do it. If he had stolen anything or done anything, he wouldn't have received his inheritance. That's sort of a part of the story, too. And and that's why Monks is so important, in my opinion. My my bigger overall problem with uh, Charles Dickens, Charlie D's uh, uh, version, in his book, they've written Fagin like a monster... But uh, uh, the, the, the guy who has the beetle position, uh, Beetle Bumble, he 
I think is more of a villain than Fagin is. Well, who treats his kids better, Fagin or Bumble? Well, it's easy, Fagin. Bumble doesn't care at all. Bumble doesn't care at all. But he, and he's a government official. That's why I feel like it leans more anti-Semitic than not. Because like you have this whole dynamic where you could easily repute Bumble in the same way and you don't do it. So, I mean, and this thing is he was forced into that life. It's not like, it's not like Jews had a a wide array of, of options they could do. It was either convert or die or move out. Um, I get like some people might be screaming at us right now. Well, what about the fact that like Fagan would let his kids die for him? What about that? And I'm like, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying. Like, yes, uh, Fagan in his song, like, you know, and in the book it does, you know, he's comfortable with those kids dying for him. But, like, in his point of view, they're his soldiers. Cheerio, but be back soon is their, like, marching off to war song. It it just seems pretty obvious what the story is trying to say. Well, and so let's go over who played probably the most iconic role within Oliver. The guy sounds moody to me. One of the earliest versions of Oliver from 1922, famous for playing Quasimodo and... The Phantom of the Opera. We have Lon Chaney. Yeah, Lon Chaney. That's very cool. Then we have, after him, the first Jewish actor to play this role, who also was Shylock, then Fagin, in a Tense Moment series, and that's Ivan Berlin. There was another famous actor that uh, uh, also uh, performed as uh, Fagin, and it was actually uh, Carol Reed's dad. That's uh, why Carol Reed really wanted to do the show. His dad oh, played Fagin. His dad played Fagin. Wow. Herbert Beerbaum Tree. Not Beer Bong Tree. Beer Bomb Tree. And then the next notable film was in 1948. And this is the one that Chris and I both watched together. And that was David Lean, Sir Alec Guinness. Yep, Alec Guinness. As Fagin. The nose and everything. I remember um, we were watching the film. You made a face. And I was like typing. I wasn't really paying attention, to be completely honest. I was typing. And I looked up and I was like, whoa, what was that? And you just were like, like stunned and shocked. I was like, what? And I looked up, and it wasn't there. It wasn't there when I looked. Mm-hmm. And I looked back at you, and you still seemed shocked. And I looked back, and then there it was. And I was like, wow, they just went all out. Like, like uh, it was like swing time level. That being said, my mom said that she saw an interview with him later in life where he did regret having the prosthetic nose. Following that, another Star Wars actor. Clive Revel played him on Broadway in 1963. Then for the movie, the second Jewish actor is Ron Moody. Yay for Ron Moody. Like when Carol Reed saw Ron Moody on Broadway and didn't get Peter Sellers, he was really, really, you know, he really pushed for Ron. Mm -hmm. And even though like uh, Columbia was really like unsure about all of that, it was obviously the right choice because he did like an amazing job. Well, yeah. like when Ron Moody was on stage, he actually did a lot to transform the Fagin character right. in the musical. Well, and he was his name was actually born he's Moodnik, but changed it in 1930 to be more like you know marketable in a in a world yeah in, that, in, in a world you know <laughs> um, marketing is everything. And so he's quoted as saying. 
I'm 100% Jewish. Totally kosher. He didn't talk like that. I just... <laughs> no, no, no. I, I wouldn't imagine. But uh, um, that was pretty fun. Um, he was an actor, composer, singer, writer who carried a Golden Globe and Academy Award with a Tony nomination, even coming back for it in 1983. Broadway revival of Oliver. Two years later, he would be in Mel Brooks's The Twelve Chairs and working again with Jack Wilde from Oliver in Flight of the Doves in 1971. He originally wasn't going to do it because he didn't want to be the negative face of the Jewish people and be like, here, I'm making, you know, how can you make a musical out of a monster, right? This was this was before Phantom of the Opera. And he went so far as to tone down his East London Yiddish accent for the film as compared to the original 1960s London stage play, just to make it even a little bit less. Ron Moody said he had to forget Dickens. Once he forgot Dickens, he was free to play the character more of like a clown, Pied Piper, literally, and it became more of this fun... He, his character is not necessarily evil, more like a guy who tries to make a way the best that he can. TV movie from 1982, Fagin was played by George C. Scott who would be nominated for an Emmy with another Dickens character, Ebenezer Scrooge, two years later. Hitting that Dickens duo. Earlier in his career, he was in the DuPont show in 1958 as Jacques, with an episode, A Tale of Two Cities. The Dickensian triple. In Disney's Exodus slash pre-Renaissance period, Dom DeLuise voiced Fagin in Oliver and Company just two years after Tiger with American Tail and a year before Spaceballs. Another, another problem character for the amazing Jonathan Price. In addition to being in Miss Saigon, in 1995 was Fagin, and there's a video that I watched with a former child actor who worked with him called Dr. M, and it's a very interesting look at it. He goes over, he goes over all of Oliver, but he also talks about the Judaism within the role and how Fagin's on the poster for Oliver. The L forms his nose. Jonathan Price is an amazing actor. We can not dispute that. But now he has, he also played Shylock as well, of course. And a third Jewish person has played Fagin in 1997 with a TV movie of Oliver Twist with Richard Dreyfus. There is a YouTube video from 1997 London production of Dame Edna slash Barry Humphreys as Fagin that is worth a watch if you're a fan. Next notable actor to play Fagin was Sir Ben Kingsley in 2005 in a Roman Polanski movie as well. And then the last one we'll talk about is Rowan Atkinson in a 2009 West End revival that earned him a nomination for an Olivier Award. I listened the heck out of that album for the Rowan Atkinson Oliver. I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. I think it was uh, terrific. I mean, know? he. I learned from Lion King that he he can ha- he can sing. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. he, he does his thing definitely. Yeah. You you would never expect. He's you know he's he's a wild card. You got to watch out. Actually, for the original production that featured a Jewish Nancy as well, and that's Georgia Brown and Martin Horsey as the Artful Dodger. And Ron Moody thought that Georgia Brown 
should have been Nancy instead of Shawnee Wallace. I don't know. I think she did a um, a really good job of changing the Nancy character, making her a little bit more sympathetic and a little bit more approachable, sort of like changes it a little bit. You know, when you have the, uh, the top madam of the group, she's usually a little bit more proper than the other ladies. She takes her pick of, you know, who's going to take care of her, which I assume Bill Sykes probably has a problem with her doing her thing so he probably spends more money on her than like and doesn't allow anybody else to and she feels kind of protected around that like the only issue i i feel like around nancy specifically is like why she would be with bill sykes other than the things i suggested earlier like like did he save her life once is that what it is like yeah i mean (laughs) I, i wonder that too like how they got to be specifically in that predicament. Right. <laughs> predicament um, instead of relationship. Yeah. <laughs> in that case, yes. So bringing Oliver to a musical format. Oh, who did that? Lionel Bart, creator of the book Music and Lyrics to Oliver. Andrew Lloyd, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber said he was the father of the modern British musical. Like the lives of people of diaspora being from a Jewish family, they escaped persecution by the Ukrainian Cossacks. Bart could not read or write music, so Eric Rogers wrote and composed the music. Yeah, I heard he would uh, sing his melodies to Eric. They would basically uh, set the down the tunes to the sheet music and orchestrate them. This, in 1960, followed his second musical... Things Ain't What They Used To Be, which encouraged Cockney accent and ending censorship in British theater. He wrote Next Year in Jerusalem in 1975, but was not performed until virtually by the Jewish Music Institute this year. Both Chris and I looked for this. We could not find it. If it is out there, great. Yeah, send us a message. Let it, us know. It sounds really interesting because, you know, as a Jew, I always hear, next year in Jerusalem. Uh, Lionel Bart has a real rags to riches story, honestly. One thing of note, he wrote a, a song for a, a rock band. <laughs> Living Doll for Cliff Richards and the Shadows. Ooh, yeah, very no, it's, cool. it's a pretty fun song. You should look it up. A Living Doll. Bart did what nobody else had done before: made a musical out of a Dickens classic for the stage that was a hit. Before then, only A Christmas Carol was done as a TV musical adaptation twice. Much like with Les Misérables, that came later. Both the story was simplified for a musical format. Yeah, Bart basically like took over Broadway. Oliver premiered at Wimbledon in 1960 before the West End, before being one of the most popular school productions in other productions around the world. Gaining Bart a Tony for Best Original Score, later on the movie was a success, winning six Academy Awards, including Best picture here's to winning a bunch of oscars it's a fine life it's a fine life after this message we'll be right back drinking songs or pub songs are songs sung while drinking alcohol usually at your favorite pub or bar Most drinking songs are folk songs or commissarium songs. Basically, commissarium are traditional academic songs that are sung during academic feasts. But however you like it, 
Drinking songs may be varied from person to person and region to region, in both the lyrics and in the music. You may or may not know, but the tune of our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, has its origins as a drinking song. That's right, folks. Francis Scott Key wrote his poem to fit the beat and melody of British composer John Stafford Smith's To Anacreon in Heaven. Voice, fiddle, and flute, no longer be mute. I'll lend you my name and inspire you to boot. And besides, I'll instruct you like me to entwine the myrtle loveliness with Bacchus's vine. So in the spirit of singing with spirits... TMH brings you another oom-pa-pa. Our show's a little silly at times, our mouths are filthy, especially when we've been on the cider or beer. If you are impatient or lack imagination, our show won't be the best thing that you want to hear. Oom-pa-pa, oom-pa-pa, that's how it goes. Oom-pa-pa, oom-pa-pa, everyone knows. They all suppose what they want to suppose when they hear oom-pa-pa. Here in the United States, leaders lie right to our face, filling heads with nonsense and thoughts that are stale. Causing social friction, cause differences in diction, emphasizing class a Dickensian tale. Oom-pa-pa, oom-pa-pa, that's how it goes. Oom-pa-pa, oom-pa-pa, everyone knows. Trickery's not how this country will grow. Still they give um papa Look at Tucker Carlson, whose words come off like arson. He whines and he complains with the plainest of lies. His fans, he thinks, are suckers. He makes the mango pucker. He'll sell his overcast till the day that he dies. Pa, um, papa, um, papa, that's how it goes. Um, papa, um, papa, every nun knows. Even his lawyers can see his nose grow. Cause he's an um, papa. Um papa, um papa, that's how it goes. Um papa, um papa, everyone knows. Whether it's hidden or whether it shows, it's the same um papa. Here's a little bit of dog trivia. In the movie, Bill Sykes' dog was an English bull terrier named Butch. You've seen this mascot before. He is the target dog. And that dog, uh, Butch, came from animals-galore.co.uk. So Animals Galore, now they have a website. I think it's really funny. They had these trained dogs, never wanted to follow Sykes. And that's all he really ever had to do. I assume it was because Oliver Oliver Reed, Reed, who, who played Bill Sykes, always in character... But I think he forgot to be nice to the dog. It sounds like he had some drinking problems. That's a part of his acting process, I guess. Never late for any call. And he was always like on his marks making the thing happen. So the interesting part of this is so first it started in London, but then it went to Australia before coming to Broadway. First run, Oliver ran for 2,618 performances. And the first performance had 23 encores. 
Future monkey Davy Jones. Jones yeah. As the artful Dodger. <laughs> Which, honestly, I feel like is perfect. If, you, if you've never seen the monkeys television show. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People hey, say we're monkey around. <laughs> you really should uh, check yeah. it out on YouTube. Davy Jones as the artful Dodger went on the Ed Sullivan show with other actors performing two songs the same night as the Beatles made their first television appearance February 9th. 1964. Similar to the character of Oliver, suddenly realized as from a rich family, surprise! Carol Reed, the director of the film, and Oliver Reed, who played Bad Bill Sykes, were related. What's a twist? Oliver Reed is the nephew of the film director, Sir Carol Reed. So the character of Nancy is a, a pretty interesting one. The original Dickens tale is actually incredibly brutal around the death of Nancy. If it were actually in the movie like it was written, it would be received like an NC-17 rating. So uh, we're going to read this and uh, find out if we agree. The housebreaker freed one arm and grasped his pistol. The certainty of immediate detection if he fired flashed across his mind, even in the midst of fury, and he beat it twice with all the force he could summon, upon the upturned face that almost touched his own. She staggered and fell, nearly blinded with the blood that rained down from a deep gash in her forehead, but raising herself with difficulty on her knees, drew from her bosom a white handkerchief. Rose Maley's own, and holding it up in her folded hand as high towards heaven as her feeble strength would let her, breathed one prayer for mercy to her maker. It was a ghastly figure to look upon. The murderer staggered backwards to the wall, and shutting out the sight with his hand, seized a heavy club and struck her down. Of all bad deeds that under cover of the darkness had been committed within wide London bounds since night hung over it, that was the worst. Of all the horrors that rose with an ill scent upon the morning air, that was the foulest and most cruel. Yeah, that would definitely have received above a G rating. Well, that's why they, you know, do it behind the, the thing, right? And you see blood, but you don't see more than that. Yeah, they were able to get uh, Oliver with a G rating. That is, that is something, considering the material. And it is, to date, the only Oscar-winning film... That has a G rating. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of like what led up to that moment of the actual murder. Like in the musical, Nancy is singing Oom Pa Pa. Um, Carol Reed sort of re-envisioned uh, what was going on because I feel like he created a really great uh, sense of tension because instead of Oom Pa Pa just being sort of like a celebratory song setting the stage, it's more of like what she uses to help with the escape of Oliver as the crowd sort of gets whipped up and sort of round and then let, let the dog starts barking. Right. Like, you know, then Bill Sykes is like, Whoa, what happened to what happened to Oliver? Where did he go? And then he sees her goes to find her and kill her. It's a fine life. Past the initial London, Australia and U S productions. It had four revivals. And if you get a Les Mis vibe, here's why Cameron McIntosh, picked up the mantle from 1977 until now in 1994, but this time after persuading Jonathan Price. Now, in case you're wondering, Miss Saigon did come before Price. Already had been called out for culturally appropriating Asian face. Oh, so uh, who did uh, Jonathan Price play? In Miss Saigon, he played the engineer. 
other countries' productions of Oliver were in Japan, Canada, Israel twice, Belgium, Syria, Dubai, and Estonia. Yeah, definitely got around. The story of Oliver, Charles Dickens' Oliver, became the basis of a Disney film. Yes. Oliver and Company. Why should I worry? The opening song is by Huey Lewis. It kind of has that like Cheers theme vibe to it with <laughs> recycled animation we saw from like Aristocats. Yeah, it does seem that way. And like some probably Lady in the Tramp, I'm guessing. Yeah, it seemed that way too. Right with New York City bustling streets, ads for Kodak, McDonald's, USA Today, Coca-Cola, Tab, National Auto Sales, Sony. Yamaha, Milkbone, Mario's, Ryder, and 42nd Street. I looked up the locations in Why Should I Worry? Why Should I Care? Yeah, he's got sweet Savoy Fair. Central Park to Delancey is about a 1.5 hour walk. Hop the Bowery to St. Mark is about two hours. Starring Joey Lawrence, Billy Joel, and Dom DeLuise. Cheech Marin. Tito the Chihuahua. Bette Midler as Georgette. A lot of a lot of folks in this film. Uh, mm-hmm, Richard like Mulligan. All-star cast, Roscoe yeah. Lee Brown. Cheryl Lee Ralph. It was an early adoption of computer animation. You can see the computer animation used, especially for the car scene with Sykes and Fagin when you camera pulls around and you see the dog on the hood ornament of Sykes's car. Yeah, there's a pretty decent attention to detail in that film. It would be really interesting to see the mother of the litter of Oliver, like a picture of her there, like in the house. Somehow the box of kittens got out. Weird and interesting, but like, uh, I think it would tie it more, the storyline. Yeah. I could see that'd be cool. So the songs honestly were not that memorable. Oh, come on. Why should I worry, man? Other than why should I worry? Perfect isn't easy. I barely remember, even though Bette Midler is an amazing performer. It sounds a little bit like something she's done with Gypsy a little bit. It, it yeah, kind of did have it, a feel like that. The song Good Company is sung poorly by a child. Oliver's name tag in the address was 1125 Fifth Avenue. Currently, that is Fifth Avenue Millennium Surgery for cosmetic surgery near the Jewish Museum and Central Park. To describe how rich Jenny's family is, they have a Chagall and a Matisse painting in the house. It's a good thing it was an animation. They don't have to put so much effort in trying to recreate that. Time Magazine cover for Georgette. First dog on Time Magazine traced back to a baby basset hound in 1928. Tito, after he is slapped by Georgette, he sings, I could have danced all night. And later he does sing in the fight scene, getting ready. Hi ho, hi ho, it's off to work we go. Well, you got to throw on the Disney love. Of course. But that they probably didn't need to pay for. I could have danced on that. I wonder if they paid royalties for. Although that might have been already acquired by Disney at that time, depending on how the studios worked. I mean, they own almost everything right now. That is true. (laughs) Another thing Simpsons predicted. If you're looking for the hidden Mickey, as all Disney movies apparently have at a certain point in time, Mickey is on Fagin's watch. When he is waiting for Jenny. Oh, okay. Got a Mickey watch on? 
There was some continuity errors that we did notice, and one of them was Oliver swipes and scrapes the nose of one of Sykes's dogs. But later, the scar is missing. Yeah, and then there's also the moment when they're like being chased by Bill Sykes. The vehicle that they're in like jumps onto the cable and goes up, and we're like, uh, "How did it get up there? There was no ramp or anything. It just was like, oh, we're up here now. Not like there's springs on the wheels." So any way to propel them up to that point, yeah, they they get up on the uh, support cable and they they are able to escape. But, you know, it's a cartoon, so you just accept it. Right, like, oh, I'm sure, they're just just movie magic and it's a cartoon, so you just go along with it. Dodger is a terrier and Georgette is a French poodle. The only song that I remembered from the Disney featurette that made me want to go see the movie was My Introduction to Billy Joel. So they they left out uh, Bill Sykes' dog. He had two dogs. Doberman Pinscher. Like, I felt like they were more like his henchmen than Than the dog. Supposed to be like Butch. So why they didn't do Butch, I don't know. It's interesting. Because they could have done English Bull Terrier Dog, both the 1968 classic and the 1989 movie as well. Those were the two major musical versions of Oliver. Here is Roger Ebert in his review from the Chicago Sun-Times and awarded Oliver or four out of four stars. Sir Carol Reed's Oliver is a treasure of a movie, he wrote. It is very nearly universal entertainment, one of the rare films like The Wizard of Oz that appeals in many ways to all sorts of people. It will be immediately exciting to the children, I think, because of the story and the unforgettable Dickens characters. Adults will like it for the sweep and zest of its production. And as a work of popular art, it will stand the test of time, I guess. It is as well made as film can be. And that completely makes sense. It took them about like two years to finish the project. So like they definitely put some uh, time and care into it. Much like The Wizard of Oz that took a lot of work and years into that as well. So I mean, I think he's when he's equating that, I think that it's well deserved because the movie, you can't dispute. You can say that there's problems and there's issues issues and looking back in time and how it's sexist and it's anti-Semitic. And you can't dispute the quality of the film that was done and the dedication that everyone played in making that work. Jack Wilde and Mark Lester, in an interview on Wagon, Wilde admitted smoking herbal tobacco in his dressing room with Fagin's gang. He said he got it from the props department. Uh, They told Jack that it was a healthier version of tobacco and gave 13-year-old Jack a bag. Wow. Just goes to show, kiddos, if you smoke weed, you may end up being an Oscar-winning motion picture maker or starting a tech company or possibly president. So, I don't know. Kids, you tell me. Mark Lester initially had supporting roles in several British television series, including The Human Jungle and Danger Man. Age of six, Lester was cast in Robert Derry's film Alaise France. English title is The Counterfeit Constable with Diane Doors, who appeared in the 1948 film version of Oliver Twist. Wow. He also played a small part as the second boy in Fahrenheit 451 in 1966. Lester starred in film version of obviously Black Beauty after... Oh, Black Beauty, the... the uh... Liz Taylor movie, right? Yeah, Black yeah. Beauty, yeah. Finally got to work with her. Also, he was announced for a version of 
uh, Treasure Island, but it was never made. And as the UK film industry would wane, so would Lester's career. Lester wrapped up his film career playing the dual role as Edward VI of England and Tom Canty in the all-star film The Prince and the Pauper of 1977, starring Raquel Welch, Charleston Heston, Rex Harrison, George C. Scott, and Oliver Reed, who had played Bill Sykes in Oliver. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. Another weird thing about Mark Lester, Mark Lester was a close friend of Michael Jackson, and Michael Jackson was a huge fan of the Oliver musical film. And so Mark Lester became godfather to Jackson's three children. Uh, Lester also appears in the documentary Michael Jackson Chased the Truth, in which he doubts allegations of sexual misconduct. Of course, the subsequent 2019 documentary Leaving Neverland really calls Lester's assertions into question. And in August of 2009, after Jackson's death, Lester gave an interview to the British tabloid news that he could be biological father of Paris, the late singer's daughter. No paternity test attempt has been made to prove or disprove this claim. Hmm, interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, So Lester met Michael in the mid to late 70s, and they met and became fast friends, and they were both child stars, and that's why they became fast friends. And they were born the same year, 1958, a typical cancer Virgo connection. Uh, The makeup department created a false ear for Mark Lester so that when Saccombe grabbed the boy's ears, it came off in his hand. Good see that being helpful, not hurting so much. Yeah, yeah. And and Mark would always uh, recant of how he and the other children were completely terrified of Oliver Reed throughout the production as Reed chose to remain in character as Bill Sykes at all times when on set. And all the way up to Jack Wilde's untimely death, uh, he and Mark Lester were really good friends as well. He celebrated his 15th birthday during filming. Both Jack Wilde and Oliver Reed were wearing lips in the in the film. He actually was shorter than Mark Lester as Mark Lester got older during that two-year process. You know, he was getting taller, so they had to, like, match uh, the artful Dodger to Oliver. The movie was actually the last Broadway musical put in film and win Best Picture until... Chicago in 2002. So the 69 Academy Awards, this won Best Picture. And in addition to winning Best Picture, it won Best Director, Carol Reed. It won Best Art Direction. It won Best Score of a Musical Picture, Original or Adaptation. Best Sound, an honorary Academy Award for Ona White. The reason why it says special is like campaigned for her to get a special Oscar for that because it wasn't really like a category. She created history right there. It won the Golden Globe Award for Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, and Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy for Ron Moody. Oliver, musical cinematographer, who was a four-time Oscar winner uh, with uh, great uh, films under his uh, belt like Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. The set was beautifully crafted, and it it took a crew of 350 people to erect it. Sean Kenny won for Best Scene Direction in the 1963 Tony Awards, along with Don Pippin, the Best Conductor and Musical Director, Lionel Bart with Best Original Score. Uh, Lionel Bart uh, made great songs for the show. Food, Glorious Food, and how that all uh, starts off with them, like, sort of doing their, like, 
1984, like, like, <laughs> I mean, obviously 1984 came much later than the story, but right, like, yeah. like this, uh, sort of like metropolis style, like march down these staircases for this film and, and the song like, uh, boy for sale, boy, boy for sale. Yeah. And that song was shot in July of 1967. And despite the required snow setting exterior shot, depended on adequate cloud cover due to erratic weather conditions in London. The snowballs uh, were made of uh, polystyrene, salt, uh, crazy foam, and mashed potatoes. Uh, Where is Love is sort of the main song, the the thing that Lionel Bart was trying to sort of uh, portray along with Carol Reed in the film. Mm. They came up with like three main things that they wanted. The first thing being Oliver is a character looking for love and a place to belong. For the first time, he feels a sense of belonging when he meets Faget. That is why Where, uh, Where is Love is kind of the center of the show, which is uh, the song that Oliver sings. But like I was telling you before, like Oliver tends to be like a kind of a Goldilocks story. And Consider Yourself took them three weeks to finish filming of that. Consider yourself part of the family. And then like Who Will Buy took six full weeks to film. Who will buy the patience in filming? Um, that's one of the reasons why Carol Reed is considered to be such a, an amazing director because, like, you have to balance, like, the needs of the crew and the needs of the project over, like, not scaring and, like, making kids, like, not want to be a part of the show. My name is uh, supposed to go to Oliver Reed, Bill Sykes. It was cut. Yeah, and it comes right after Oom Papa in the start of the second act. I don't know if Bill Sykes should sing in this musical. Uh, once again, I feel like uh, monks should be in the film as like some sort of like ominous evil character that we don't really fully understand uh, how evil and how he sort of affected the whole trajectory of Oliver's life until the very end at the twist. Mark Lester did not do his own singing in Oliver. Not completely. He did some of it, but not all of it. Dubbed in the high parts by Kathy Green, daughter of Johnny Green. Uh, the music arranger, supervisor on the film. He sounds like a girl. Yeah. As we've discovered, there's been other girl Olivers now. Dating back to the first film. I could say that's a pants roll. I could totally see that. Johnny Green revealed this for the first time publicly in 1988 during an interview. Uh, He originally had two boys set to dub his singing. They realized their voices didn't really match Mark's look. So they use Johnny's daughter instead. Uh, I'm also glad Mr. and soon-to-be Mrs. Bumble's song was cut. Like, slows down yeah, the story no, it and it's not really... That's your funeral. Yeah, that's also the funeral. It's the exact same way. The reason why they had it, they added it in initially, is because Barry Humphreys was such an accomplished comedian and performer. Well, we got to give Sutterberry a song. Reviewing the situation. It sounds like Shylock's monologue so true. Hath not to Jew eyes, do we not bleed? The song helps humanize him. The most Jewish aspect that was thrown into this musical. There's like klezmer music in there you hear, and the way that he sings is is very similar to a cantor singing in synagogue. It sounds very similar to that style. 
As long as he needs me. Beautifully sung. It's song. It, it's a it's, it's a legitimately important uh, piece in the the movie because like or or in the musical rather yeah because like without it you don't have the why does she care but it's just heartbreaking it is heartbreaking yeah like it would be really funny if like somewhere in the show where she's like you should fix the roof and he's like ah fix the roof yourself his foot falls in the like like he gets trapped yeah. when he's on top of the roof. That's how he's able to fall and hang himself. Like, and then it could be like she who actually killed him. She was a, like, because he wasn't a better partner to her, he got caught. The character of Monks is supposed to be the criminally inclined half brother of Oliver Twist, but he hides his identity. Uh, Monks pays Fagin to make Oliver into a criminal because, like, if Oliver becomes a criminal, then he loses his inheritance. All is gone. And this is the real reason that Fagin wishes to keep him in his clutches. Uh, no one knows of the bargain that Fagin has made with Monks until Nancy, one of the members of his gang, overhears a conversation between the two criminals. Because Monks knows about Oliver's plight throughout the entire uh, musical, throughout the entire story, he is part of the reason why Oliver is in the workhouse. Because at any point in time, Monks could be like, oh, dude's my brother. We're going to talk about some of the more interesting references in the story. And before like you get started, I wanted to talk Firstly and foremostly about workhouses. Yes. Because like this show like starts at a workhouse mm -hmm. and I feel like it kind of gets glossed over a little bit. These kids are basically like in a... A prison for children. They're in a children's debtor's prison. So in Britain, a workhouse was an institution where those unable to support themselves financially, basically caught in debtor's prison nonsense, like we mentioned, they're uh, offered accommodations and employment, if you can call it that. Plenty of work and humiliation and very little food. You would think that would be the goal of a debtor's prison is to help someone work off their Yeah. Debt. But that was never the goal. The goal was like Just cheap labor. Yeah. Cheap labor. Basically indentured servitude and, yeah. and slaves. To give you an idea of how bad things were in Scotland, workhouses were usually known as poorhouses. And the earliest use of the term workhouse is from 1631. Poor Law Amendment Act of 1834, known widely as the New Poor Law, which discouraged the provision of relief to anyone who refused to enter a workhouse. You had to work at a workhouse if you wanted to get any money from anyone. By entering a workhouse, paupers were considered to have forfeited responsibility for their families. Clothing and their personal possessions were taken from them and stored to be returned at their discharge. Which was never. Which is another reason why I think monks would be a really important add to the musical, because Oliver should have gotten his locket back when he left the workhouse, and that didn't happen. And, the, and this locket is incredibly important. So the Local Government Act of 1929 gave local authorities the power to take over workhouse infirmaries as, as municipal hospitals. And finally, in 1948, the National Assistance Act abolished the last vestiges of the poor law, and with it, the workhouses. In the musical, you see them all on that giant tread wheel. A tread wheel or treadmill is a form of engine typically running on people power. These devices were not only used as jobs, but as torture devices. So if you ever had a deep feeling that your job is torture, for some in the past, it truly was synonymous. From the Food Glorious Food song, Savaloys 
is a bright pink, highly seasoned sausage, usually made of finely ground pork. It's similar in appearance to a frankfurter. Trounce is Punish severely. I'm going to trounce you good. Guineas. Great Britain coined between 1663 and 1814. Only seven guineas. Contained approximately one quarter of an ounce of gold worth one pound and one shilling. Undertaker's mute. Now, when I first heard this term, I go, I was thinking like actual mute. Like they. Oh, is it like when they put a cork in someone's butt so they don't fart? Cut out his tongue, not have him talk. What, what, what would an undertaker say that would be so dangerous? I don't know. Okay. Okay, but I I didn't, I've never heard that? this term before, so I looked it up. It's professional mourner prior to Paul Bear. Oh, maybe, maybe the whole idea is like you're supposed to not really say much, but look sad and be there. It's supposed to, help them. to mute the tone of the setting. Yeah, I'd be I'd be sad that there was some strange child at the funeral that nobody knew. Grouse is slang for complain. Robin Hood, a legendary outlaw from 13th or 14th century. Timbuktu is a city in Mali, West Africa. Important trading post historically. Pip pip cheerio. From the early 20th century actually as an English way of saying goodbye. Pip pip came from the idea of someone blowing their car horn twice. Beep, beep. Wait, really? That's so interesting. So, yeah, that was definitely after Dickens's time. The same thing with Guinea, because it was out of fashion by the time that the Oliver would have been written. Uh, sixpence, also tanner or sixpenny bit minted, from 1551 under the reign of Edward VI to 1980, equating to half a shilling or one fortieth of a pound, or for the U.S., 46 cents. Earl originated in Scandinavian, word for chieftain, who ruled in the king's place when he was away. Now they rank third in British peerage, meaning the legal system, under Duke and Marquis. Duke and Marquis, Duke of Earl and Marquis. Of the Earl. Gum tree. Trees that ooze thick gummy sap if the trunk surface is damaged. Native to Australia. We won't probably be seeing any gum trees here. Mm, Yeah, we don't have enough gumption. Bloke is a slang term for man common in the UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. Green. Fresh or new on the scene. Mark on you. Target someone for a violent act or con. Toff, slang, derogatory term for an upper class man. Oh, that's really interesting. There's a character from Avatar The Last Airbender that's named Toff. She she literally is like royalty, but like she doesn't care. But she's also very obviously uh, spoiled. Valet, a man's male attendant who is responsible for dressing his employer, and other needs that go along with. That must have been an interesting change in job. Oh, I'm here to dress you, and then wait, now I gotta drive your car too? Tally is agree or correspond with. Tilted people are people with a title in front of their name, like a sir or a lady. Clarages have a suite of clarages, a fancy hotel in England since 1860 where Queen Victoria stayed. In December of 1951, German Chancellor and the Jewish World Congress met in secret to discuss Holocaust reparations. And Erna Bob, a lot of money coming from British slang for money. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, earn a lot of money. 
What if I want to earn like two bobs in a Harriet? Well, uh, you guys have uh, done it. You've made it through yet another episode. Uh, we definitely want to thank uh, all the awesome people that help support this show and help us making it happen. And we thank you all for continually listening to us. Today's podcast has been brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Like Royce, who just contributed some money to our Patreon. So thank you very much. And if you want a special shout out, then head over to patreon.com slash Stonewall the Musical. We also want to send a shout out to Tracy for uh, gifting us the great gift of Broadway HD. Uh, we love our listener support and we really appreciate you all. Yes. Thank you, folks. And we'll be back again next time with Swing Your Razor High, Sweeney. So we might as well stay in about the same era and start talking about Sweeney Todd because, you know, uh, I am saddened by Soundheim passing. Till then... I'm Kevin. And I'm Chris. And remember, learn from our story. Musicals teach us lessons, shouldn't they? Well, they croon and prance around in their play. Some of them are good, and some of them, well, you know, ain't. Don't blame us if it's your favorite show that we happen to taint. Welcome to Talking Musical History. We will explore all of the highs and all the lows with social conscience and realization, an honest microscope to study all these shows. And down rabbit holes we'll go with these Like newsboys well the day we cease Connecting lines and jokes with these Our, Our stories spunking fun you see Served musicals with sides of cheese Dissecting shows looks like a breeze Kevin and Chris do aim to please In hopes to cure hateful disease I think we better talk it out again Yes, we are talking musical history And we surely have to talk it out again